0: COVID-19 has had significant impacts on all sectors for the past three years, but has created particular challenges for those with disabilities who use hearing and touch as communication. So how do the critical institutions in our community and state prepare to better support those with disabilities, both in today's COVID-19-affected world and in the event of future pandemics?
1: With involvement in awareness campaigns, community outreach, and a dedication to helping everyone feel seen, heard, and supported.
0: I'm Rachel Lott.
1: And I'm J.J. Hodshire.
0: And this is Rural Health Rising.
1: Welcome to Episode 73 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital.
0: And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development.
1: So, Rachel, we often discuss the COVID-19 pandemic on this podcast, uh, probably to some's chagrin uh, (laughs) because it has surrounded and engulfed our lives for years now. Uh, But today we're looking at it from a much different perspective um, as we talk about how this pandemic has impacted those with disabilities uh, and it's disrupted the way that they communicate.
0: Right. So we are talking with someone today who has seen the effects of this firsthand, particularly in the judicial setting, and is passionate about bringing awareness to this topic.
1: You know, our guest today truly needs no introduction in the state of Michigan, and even in the surrounding states uh, as you're listening. But our guest today is Richard Bernstein. He is a Michigan Supreme Court justice. And I want to, first of all, welcome you to Rural Health Rising, our podcast, uh, but also to Hillsdale. And you're not you're not new to Hillsdale. Um, I think you like Hillsdale, but I welcome. I
2: love Hillsdale. I want to tell you, I love Hillsdale. I want to tell you something. It is without question, one of the warmest, kindest places I've ever been. I agree. There's something really special about the people here in Hillsdale. What you find is, the students and the faculty, they're kind they people, they they're warm people, they're helpful people, mm-hmm. they're the kind of people who you just enjoy being around. And it's just simple things. Number one, as a blind person, when you kind of walk around the campus, people always want to help you. They always ask, is there anything I can do? What assistance do you need? It's amazing. Like, you'll never come to a door that someone doesn't open for you. And I just have to say that I think that this place really brings out the best in people because I really feel that it just emanates that sense of warmth, that sense of kindness, that sense of community. This is a very special place with incredibly special people. I mean, mm-hmm. people need to come and visit mm-hmm. just to see how good people are, how yeah. kind people are, how warm people are. It really almost, in a lot of ways, it lets you feel good about humanity when you're it on sure this does. campus. And, awesome, And I have to say, We are in person because even though you said, oh, would you like to do it on Zoom? My response was absolutely Absolutely not. not. (laughs) I will be coming to Hillsdale in person. No Zoom for us. We do everything in person. And any excuse I have to be able to come here, I am always going to take advantage of it. Yeah.
1: And and Justice Bernstein, uh, obviously, uh, you're well-known in our state. Uh, and I was, you know quite intimidated when I uh, had a first opportunity to meet you. Uh, and I had been around some folks, uh, you know, that, that uh, well, Justice Markman, uh, you know. Who, He's my who's, very good friend. Yeah, and he was my college professor. And I actually spoke at uh, Hillsdale College a few months ago when we had an honor uh, for justice. Uh, and one of the things that, you know, really, I guess, caused me to have a little bit of uh, intimidation, uh, you know, is because you're such a well-known family. And um, those that do not know your story— um, can you, you just, you, you touched on it in your introduction, but you're blind. Yes. And can you share a little bit of that? Because that's going to preface a little bit of what we're talking about today.
2: Absolutely. So um, as you said, I am blind. I was born blind. But also, JJ, I think, you know, with the blindness and the reason I feel such a connection to Hillsdale is because what you tend to find from people that have to live with struggle is they tend to be, in many situations, people of faith, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're, they're the point. kind of folks that, you know, look at life and say that, you know, God does everything for a reason. reason. And ultimately, I've always been a believer mm-hmm. that our life experiences are given to us for mm-hmm. a reason. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately, it's through those experiences that we come, especially for those who have disabilities, that we come to understand what it means to really struggle and folks that live with struggle are often the kind of people that really live the richest and fullest of lives. Mm -hmm. Now, what's very important is, is is that it doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. No, It doesn't mean it's gonna be joyous. It doesn't mean it's gonna be happy, but it's going to be meaningful. Mm -hmm. It's going to be purposeful. And I think often is the case that when you have a severe disability, you really come to understand why you were created Mm. and you live your life with this incredible sense of passion Mm. and and you live it with an amazing sense of mission. Mm. And ultimately every day you live it in a manner where you say to yourself, have I lived up to the potential? Have I lived up to the reason why I was Mm. created? But that only comes from having known, understanding and appreciation of what it means to really have to face struggle. Yeah. And that's, I think, the blessing that kind of comes with mm-hmm. it. And it's interesting. I, I often, um, and, and I, I really believe that the Hillsdale model kind of teaches this, which is why this is such a great place in so many different ways. But I think one of the things that you learn when you have a severe disability is people will, will, and, and I think that that's why faith makes a difference and Mm -hmm. why it has such an important impact Mm -hmm. is is that for so many people that are dealing with real struggle in their life they're dealing with loss they're dealing with pain they're dealing with setback they're dealing with all different types of life disruptions you know what always happens and that's why i love the fact that you know we're talking about healthcare, is is that for folks that are dealing with these life-changing events Often, what happens is people will always say to them, and they'll say, "You know, I know you're going to make a full recovery," hmm. or they'll say to them, "I know that you have suffered this incredible tragedy, but I'm really hoping you'll be able to find closure." And the reasons I love talking about healthcare, especially you know on your podcast, is is that for the vast majority of people that are in these situations, you are not. Most people, they're not going to recover. And mm-hmm. they should never be told that they're going to find closure mm-hmm. because that's just something that can be very offensive when you say, to yeah. some, oh, I hope mm-hmm. you find closure Between. because it's offensive. Right. But what the key is, and this is just what I've learned. And I think that the reason that we're so in sync with Hillsdale is because I believe that your health system kind of focuses on this notion as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. which is the key isn't always in overcoming. It's not always in recovery. The key is being able to adapt Adapting Mm. to a new circumstance, adapting to a new situation, or finding a way to adapt to a life that you didn't want, Mm -hmm. but to a life that's ultimately been given to you. But that's the essence of it. It's finding that Mm -hmm. ability to adapt. And those people that can adapt are able to live with a real sense of power, purpose, and mission.
1: Yes. You know what? I... I went home after meeting you, and I told my wife I met one of the kindest men that I've ever met. And I'm, I say that with all sincerity. You're so gentle, and you're so kind. You make time for everyone. I saw you speaking with a janitor uh, at, at the event that I was at with you. You are remarkable, and your passion comes through. Uh, Rachel, I'm sure you you have felt it just in the few minutes that we've been together. (laughs) Yes, I've known you for
0: about 33 minutes, and I would say the exact same same (laughs) things that JJ just said.
1: And your purpose shines through, Justice Bernstein, and we're so delighted to share in a very important conversation, not only for the state, but for our nation. And it's an important question uh, that we're going to raise about what were the impact— uh, what were the impacts of covid restrictions on our those like yourself who really embrace touch mm-hmm. and and embrace, you know, that togetherness. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But, you know, I think Rachel wants to get to some core questions here mm. about you as a person.
0: Yes. So, <laughs> uh, well, I feel like we've gotten a lot about you as a person. Yeah. That was great. But I do want to know more about your professional background, too. So can you tell us a little bit about that, about your background and your work uh, in the Michigan Supreme Court?
2: Absolutely. Well, I, I've always been kind of a, like I say, a person of faith. And uh, when I was going through law school as a blind person, it was excruciatingly difficult, Mm. right? And it was, if it takes you an hour to do something, it takes me sometimes four to five. I just work slowly Mm because blind people have to memorize and internalize everything. Mm -hmm. So it's just a lot slower for me to do stuff. And it was interesting because when I was in school, I remember all my friends it came easier to them, Mm -hmm. right? They were the top of their class. They, you know, were going to all the great law firms, but they didn't have to really work as hard. It wasn't as much of a struggle as it was for me. And there was a very cold day in Chicago and I went to Northwestern and I remember the wind was howling off the lake and I remember praying to the creator and I said, you know, God, I said, look, this is really really tough. Mm -hmm. I want to be a lawyer in the absolute worst way. Like this is something I so desperately want. And I said, God, I'm asking you, please let me have this opportunity. Let me Mm -hmm. have this chance to become an attorney. And I said, Hashem, in Judaism, we say Hashem. It's just a more respectful way of referring to the creator. So I said, Hashem, I said, if you allow for me to graduate from law school and pass the bar, I will dedicate my professional career to representing people with disabilities and special needs Mm -hmm. who otherwise don't have access to legal representation. Hmm. And I said, that is my promise to you, Hashem. If you give me this chance, I will dedicate my life to this. And so miraculously, I graduated from law school. Even more miraculously, I passed the bar exam. And then I went back to my family's law firm, and I talked with my family, and I said, look, a promise is a promise. Hmm. I made a promise to Hashem that if I could graduate from law school, I would dedicate my life to public service. And he granted me that Ability, so he followed through, and a promise is a promise. So we set up our law firm's public services division, mm-hmm. where we never charged for legal representation, and as a result, we would be able to take cases that nobody else yeah. would take, yeah. cases that nobody else would touch. So I basically dedicated uh, 15 years of my life to representing paralyzed veterans, mm-hmm. and we would make sure. And it was funny; it was it was myself. And I had a, I had uh, two amazing associates, Tim and Emily. And what we would do is we would take on these huge battles, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Tim and Emily were, you know, college students, yeah. right? They just yeah. graduated from college. So you had yeah. one blind lawyer <laughs> and two college grads. Right. And what we would do is we would really take on cases that you could see were going to make life better for folks. And our focus was on paralyzed vets. Mm. And I remember our first case was we fought with the Detroit Department of Transportation so that paralyzed veterans could have access to public transit, right? Mm. Because they were operating 60% of the buses without working wheelchair lifts. So we fought, and that case basically set all of the standards for what you see nationally in how public service or how public transportation providers operate so the detroit bus case set all the standards for how public transit operates the other case that we had which was a really intense one was i used to be a professor at the university of michigan but no longer because i sued them so (laughs) (laughs) so i'm shocking that i'm not teaching there anymore but they weren't being kind to paralyzed veterans Mm. and you had veterans that wanted to go to the stadium and you had a number of folks who were in ROTC that were coming back um, after you know service yeah. in Iraq and Afghanistan, yeah. and what was happening is they'd be wheelchair users, but they weren't able to go to the football games because the stadium was inaccessible. And ultimately, the question that the court had to decide was: when the University of Michigan was spending three hundred and fifty million dollars, was it an alteration or a repair? If you alter a structure, you have to bring it into compliance. Mm -hmm. If you repair Mm -hmm. it, you don't. And what the University Mm -hmm. of Michigan was doing, which was quite sinister, was they were deliberately trying to argue that it was a repair Hmm. by basically approving projects individually. So they were saying, oh, we're putting in new benches. We're putting in new cement. We're putting in new bathrooms. We're putting in a new scoreboard. These are just a series of repairs. They're not an alteration. Mm-hmm. And my argument back was, of course, it's an alteration. You're rebuilding the entire facility. But the reason this case was so critical was if the University of Michigan had been successful, it would have impacted all commercial facilities <laughs> across the United States because what developers would do is they would just simply say, oh, we're just simply Reference. making a repair, yeah. not an mm-hmm. alteration. And what was happening was you had paralyzed veterans. You had members of the United States Marines who were still going to football games mm-hmm. right because they didn't want to be left out and their attitude was I might be in a wheelchair but I still want to be with my with my friends I still mm-hmm. want to be you know with I still want to be with people I still want to do things with my community I don't want to be left out I don't want to be sitting by myself in a dorm room on game day because the university can't make the stadium accessible for me so their attitude was we're still going mm-hmm. but what would happen is because it wasn't accessible was you had members of the United States Marines who were basically injuring themselves because the slopes were so steep that they would be mm-hmm. catapulted out of their wheelchair oh. wheelchairs. Oh, and then gosh. on top of that, you had members of the United States Armed Services who were soiling themselves at the stadium because the university refused to make the bathrooms accessible for them to use. So United States Marines were basically soiling themselves. It was unacceptable. Mm. So that was a case and we fought for years over that. And and in both cases, in the bus case, in the stadium case, they've all been now rebuilt. The buses now operate fully compliant. The stadium is now fully compliant. That now set the standards for all commercial facilities. And then there was this one other case I'm very passionate about, which was US aviation. she was it used to be very difficult for our veteran to travel mm-hmm. because the airlines didn't want to provide the services that they needed to travel safely mm. so we ultimately had a huge battle with US aviation and now when you go to the airport you see tons of people in wheelchairs yeah. and you see tons of people traveling and that's the way it's meant to be mm-hmm. so ultimately you know I have to tell you I really desperately wanted to be in the U.S. military, huh. I had applied to be in JAG, but understandably they said, look, you have to be able to handle a firearm in order to be in the military, in uniform. I wanted to be in uniform. Mm. And they said, look, and I understood. They said, look, we have these requirements that you have to meet. So ultimately, you know, unfortunately, you can't serve in uniform because you can't handle a firearm for obvious reasons because I'm blind. So I totally (laughs) get that. Like, it kind of makes sense. (laughs) But the thing is, is, is that I decided, okay, if I can't serve in uniform, I'm going to go and basically dedicate my life to representing our paralyzed vets and representing those who have served. And we, Mm -hmm. you know, 15 years I spent representing the veteran to make sure that they have access to program services, transportation, aviation, Mm -hmm. and making sure that they have a Mm -hmm. decent quality of life when they come back and now they have catastrophic injury as a result of service to our country. Well, you are mm-hmm. a
1: fantastic voice uh, for the veterans and their families. And uh, from a family, you know, who lost my nephew in the Iraq war, uh, our family looked to you uh, and for your encouragement and for the work that you did for our veterans as a as a motivation and inspiration to our family. I'm so, sorry, so I'm, I'm
2: so sorry for your loss. Thank it's you. it's an unbearable
1: loss. It is an unbearable, but but having you, uh, and it's, I call it the Bernstein Advantage. I think that's been a, a phrase that's been coined before, hasn't <laughs> yeah. it? Uh, is it trademarked uh, yes. or copyrighted I think yet? it is trademarked. Yeah. And We're going to have to pay it, royalties on this yeah. episode. <laughs> I, could you talk to your dad and your brothers and make sure that we could use that? But I, I i think you are good uh, okay. to go. <laughs> All right. Uh, but truly, you have been an advocate, and your, your why, we we usually ask this question, you know, what is your why? You've explained your why. Uh, we see the passion and the purpose in your life, and I want to thank you. And, you know, as we look at, you know, the purpose of our podcast today, It's really to highlight some of the challenges uh, that our communities face during COVID-19. And, you know, so I'm going to ask you, Justice Bernstein, during COVID-19 pandemic, uh, you yourself, how was your work in the Supreme Court impacted and what things changed during that time? Let's first start with your work. Okay. So, you
2: know, and I'm just going to be very direct, right? I'm going to be very direct. I am very anti-COVID restriction. I'm just going to just tell it to you like it is, right? And I I want folks to understand why this is something that I'm so passionate about and the reason that I have this. And a lot of it, it goes back to what we were talking about before, which it comes down to life experience, Mm. right? At the end of the day, what it really comes down to is that people have to be able to make their own decisions. It's very important, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is is that as a person who is blind, and I want to say this, I've done 25 marathons. I've done a full Ironman competition. Really? Yes. So for those that are not familiar, an Ironman's a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and a 26.2 mile run. Wow. okay so this is something I yeah,
0: I've I, I told it, him earlier I've run to the store before yeah. <laughs> but that's about the extent of my
2: <laughs> if I drive that I get
0: tired are you kidding me yes, let alone run but
2: it. It. it's my passion I really really love physical fitness and it's something I'm really into yeah. but also like I say is, is that you know and the reason I love coming to Hillsdale is and again I keep saying it over and over you know sometimes I do kind of like to talk a little bit about my kind of relationship with the creator and it's yeah. wonderful to be here where you can actually do that can, because yeah. so many other events you you know, I do it and people get very angry and, and Mm -hmm. you can talk about everything else, right but if you want to talk about the Bible or you want to talk about your own journey, and it's Mm -hmm. so funny because I do speeches, you know, all across the country, but there's some forums where even if you talk just about your own journey, right? Like I'm not proselytizing. I'm just basically speaking of my own journey and Mm -hmm. it's my faith and it's my relationship with Hashem that I'm speaking about right and it's my business. It's your business. But the thing is, is, is that I share that it's it's how I get through my life mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's how I get through my days and I'm just sharing it as kind of my story yeah. but so often people get so angry about it that you you literally, you can talk about everything else yeah. but if you ever, I mean if you, you can quote any other citation but if you quote the Bible yeah. people just get really angry and yeah. I'm tired of it, I'm just tired of it because the Bible is something that if I wish to quote the Bible why can't I use that as a reference point? Sure. But going But going to your question about COVID and about these types of things is, is that, you know, I'm a person that basically does these endurance competitions because it brings me closer to the creator. That's is me, mm-hmm. right? It mm-hmm. just, it, sure. it allows sure. for me to have a close connection with the creator. Because what happens is, is, is that when you're blind, what ultimately occurs is, is that you, you understand that you have, you know, you, that you're mortal. And that you have, you know, a pretty intense infirmity, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. But when you go and you do an Ironman competition, what ultimately happens is I want you to envision the way a blind person does these athletic competitions is you run with a team and they give you directional cues. Hard right, soft right, hard left, soft left. You follow those directional cues. But you do it as a team. Now imagine an Ironman. Again, 2.4-mile swim. 112-mile bike, and a 26.2-mile run. If you stop, if you rest, if you take a break, you're going to get disqualified. If you finish Mm -hmm. at 12.05 instead of 12 o'clock, it's like you're never even there. So I just want to share this with you. I want you to envision diving into a frigid body of water. The water temperature that morning was 55 degrees. Mm. Now imagine swimming in total total darkness you have no idea where you are you have no idea where you're going you get kicked in the face by all the other swimmers and then other competitors become entangled in the rope that connects you to your guide Mm. and as they become entangled the rope becomes ensnared and as the rope becomes ensnared it becomes constrictive and it starts taking you below the surface and you start to drown now i share this story with you because ultimately that's where my faith comes in because when you're in pain, when the outcome is uncertain, you come to find something very important. You come to find that even though you have a disability and even though you're created with you know, infirmities, if given the chance, the spirit and the soul can disconnect, can transcend, mm-hmm. and literally allow for you to pierce the heavens hmm. and touch the face of God how is that relevant to the question that you just asked Mm -hmm. it's relevant in this way in order for someone like me to live it requires people it requires Mm -hmm. community it requires being together a blind person like myself really can't live without social interaction Mm -hmm. we really can't Mm -hmm. because my entire life is energy I need mm-hmm. to be with people. I need to be around people. Mm-hmm. I need to be connected with people. So many people with disabilities, that's kind of how they experience life. And I'm just going to tell you like the reason why I care so deeply about this. And this is something that 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 we that that I really we all have to fight for. People have to be in person. Period. End of story. Mm-hmm. That's We have to be in right. person. Now, this is the way going to a disability, How how we need to look at this and how we need to approach it, right? Mm-hmm. As you've heard, my entire life's work has been dedicated to representing our paralyzed veteran, meaning my life's work is really dedicated to fighting for people with disabilities. Why do I fight so hard against COVID restrictions? It is for this reason. The entire basis of the Americans with Disabilities Act is that you go to the individual, you go to the Mm -hmm. person, Mm -hmm. you accommodate the person, you accommodate the individual. Right, not the condition or the the disability. Exactly. But the way that I want to emphasize it, right, Mm -hmm. is is that the question that we're grappling with and why I am so grateful – to be on this podcast, because honestly, I can go on for hours about this and Mm -hmm. thank God for Hillsdale. And I'm going to be honest with you. Thank God that there's a place like Hillsdale who is stepping up Mm -hmm. and saying that people matter and saying that people should be together and saying that community is important. Mm -hmm. I mean, thank God that you guys are taking this position and that you're taking on this fight, because here's what it really comes down to. The question that we have to grapple with is what is going to be the default position right what is going to be the overall mm-hmm. default position and and where we are right now is is that my position is quite clear default should always be in person yeah. right? that's how we mm-hmm. that is the way that we are created that is how we are built mm-hmm. we are meant to be in person so the the answer to the question of how do we move forward is everything should be in person period At all times, right? Mm -hmm. So the the real issue is how do you approach the default? The default is in person, right? Right. I don't think I could be more passionate about it. Default, in person. The accommodation for somebody that has an immune deficiency or someone that has concern about being in person is you accommodate that individual and you say, okay, if you can't be in person, we'll accommodate you by allowing for you to be on Zoom. Great we'll point. accommodate you by allowing for you to do it virtually, Good right? Yeah. But the question is what's happened now with our society and and with workplaces and and courts and all these types of things is the default has now become Zoom and they have the audacity to say that the accommodation will be in person. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's just flipped where now if you're accommodating, they'll say, well, we will accommodate you by coming in person. That's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. The accommodation should be the Zoom. The default is in person. Absolutely imperative that we have to get back to this, because ultimately the reason this is so important is what is life? Life is people. Life is your interactions. Mm -hmm. Life is your friends. Life are your colleagues. I mean, life is all about there's no reason to really live if you're not interacting. You need that human interaction because when you think about your life, it really comes down to experiences. And what are your experiences? Your experiences are your human interactions. Mm -hmm. Your experiences are the interactions you have at home, your experiences are the interactions you have at school, your experiences are the interactions you have at work, and your experiences are you. Know, the people that you enjoy being with and the people that you don't enjoy being with but it's all part of the life experience that you're supposed to live right. it is all defined by in-person activity period end of story we need to make it so that our cities are filled with people we need to make it so that people are just everywhere and, and, and at the end of the day again The two are not mutually exclusive. If there are people that have concerns, then we accommodate those concerns. We work with those concerns. We make it work. But the rest of the world needs to be back in business, needs to be back in their offices, needs to be back in classrooms, Mm -hmm. needs to just be in person at all times because that is how we are meant to live. And I'm just going to say, because I really get worked up about this, as you can tell, (laughs) this is... It's called passion. Let me tell you something. This for me is just no joke. Like this, this, this is, as far as I'm concerned, I, you have no idea the, the impact that this has had. I don't think people have ever faced something as challenging or as sad or as daunting as finding out that a person that you knew ended their life. And the reason, and, and, and the reason that this is happening within the disabled community is because of the isolation. Because of this intense isolation led to people feeling as though they had no hope. And the one community that has suffered, I would ask people to guess. I mean, you might know this because because you, you, I talk about it all the time. I get so worked up about it. But if you could guess, of the disabilities, which community do you think had the hardest time with COVID? Of all the disabilities, it wasn't easy for anyone, I get that. For disabled people, it was exceptionally difficult. Mm -hmm. But of the disabled groups, which group do you think had the most difficult time with this? Or had the highest suicide rates or the biggest challenges?
0: I was going to guess maybe hard of hearing you or got it, vision you, loss. Yeah. You,
2: well, not as much vision loss, but it is hard of hearing. Yeah. And the reason that hard of Your hearing— Your only
0: connection is physical and, 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 and vision—to really have that relationship with people. It's,
2: well, but here's the thing. How do you do that It's remotely? a little deeper, all right? It's, and it's more simplistic. When you make people wear masks, what is it that you can't do? Can't read, read their lips. lips. Exactly. Yeah. So if you can't read people's lips, they can't communicate. Yeah. And oh if gosh. you think powerful. about it, if yeah. you go through life and you're not able to communicate, mm-hmm. you feel completely alone and you feel completely isolated. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what happens. At the end of the day, what this all really comes down to is, is that people are smart. People are kind and people are good. You have to have a genuine belief mm-hmm. in people. But most importantly, people are able to make their own decisions as to what their level or association of risk is going to be. Mm-hmm. So for somebody like myself, you know, who's blind, right, doing an Ironman, doing marathons, doing all that mm-hmm. has a certain level of risk that's associated to it. But it's up to me to decide what my level and form of risk Mm -hmm. is ultimately going to be, not somebody else. And I always like the quote that Yogi Berra used to say. He used to say that, look, you know what? If people don't want to come out to the ballpark, there's nothing we can do to stop them. Mm -hmm. So if there are people that have these concerns then I totally respect that. I totally appreciate that. I totally empathize and understand that. And then they should basically take whatever precautions that are necessary or appropriate for them. But for somebody like myself who is blind, the isolation for me was far more dangerous Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. far more risky and far more problematic and far more painful Mm -hmm. than the belief that I had as to what would happen if I had COVID. So the issue is it really comes down to this notion that ultimately again accommodate the individual if there's a person that is really concerned about it doesn't want to come into the office doesn't want to you know you know venture outside because they're concerned we will accommodate them mm-hmm. but for everybody else you know ultimately you have to just let people make their own decisions because ultimately when you make your own decision you're doing it from your own life experience yeah. and when you allow people to use their life experiences they will make the appropriate decision mm-hmm. and that is in my situation, it should never have been that I was told I couldn't go out. It should never have been that I was told that I can't associate with other people. It should, I mean, if you have to think about how restrictive this actually got, right, because mm-hmm. now we're kind of past it. But these things should never have happened. You mm-hmm. shouldn't be telling, you know, th- this notion that like, you know, and, and I, I want to emphasize one other thing, right? Blind people can't use Zoom, Right? It's very difficult to use Zoom without having someone assist you. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, someone has to basically sit next to you and help you do it. Because I can't really do Zoom. Right. So I used to go into my office when they finally opened the building because the building was closed forever. And
1: and that was, for you, a source of, and I'm going to say anger, because there's righteous anger. Yes. You were were very frustrated that you couldn't meet and be in the office.
2: Correct. I mean, the building was closed. I was strictly prohibited from being in the building or from going into my office. Once they opened the building, I would go into my office and I would just sit by my, it was really kind of pathetic. I would go into the office and sit by myself at my desk mm-hmm. and then take out my phone and call my clerks and work by phone. Yeah. Once the building was finally open and I was able to do that, that's how I would actually kind of work. I would right. go into the building and I would work by my phone and sitting at my desk. And, and it just, it just it, you'd sit by yourself in this building and it mm-hmm. was just really, it just got to a point where it was just kind of unbearable, just right. absolutely right. unbearable. Right. And I think that 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 ultimately, again, is, is that, you know, you you just – we need to – where we are now is it's a real fight and we have got to get people back in person. It's just really mm-hmm. critical. We had an issue um, at the courts and, you know, actually a Hillsdale graduate, uh, Justice Viviano, who yeah. is one of my best friends, oh, yeah. he and I have been fighting this for a long time. But there were a number of changes that the courts were making where they were basically creating language that basically said that that Zoom should be used whenever possible. Hmm. Literally, oh. that's part of the court rules now. It literally hmm. says that they, you know, and Justice Vivian and I, Viviano and I wrote some very, uh, the two of us wrote a very sharp, intensive dissent. Mm-hmm. Actually, Justice Viviano and I also wrote a whole op-ed piece for the Detroit News. I mean, this is how mm-hmm. strongly sure. we feel about this. But ultimately, you know, what was happening was is that the courts were basically adopting this position that Zoom should be be used whenever possible. Mm -hmm. I just think that's horrible. This notion that Zoom should be used whenever possible. How about the courthouses should be used whenever possible? How about the buildings should be used whenever possible? How about people need to be together? How about court is a solemn activity that needs Mm. to be in person? And the most important reason why it needs to be in person is is because if you're doing this because you like the way that Justice Viviano, Viviano and I believe is we believe that we have a solemn oath to the citizenry and to those that we serve as judges. We're public servants and we are there to serve people. That's the whole reason that we're there. And I always ask people, you've waited for two years to have your day in court. Mm -hmm. You know, this is your big moment, right? You've waited. This is your day. This is your moment, right? Mm -hmm. Just think about this, Right. right? You're coming to court, but this is your day. This is your moment. Yeah. Do you want to have your day be on Zoom? Right. Mm-hmm. Right? You've you have been praying for this. You have been waiting for yeah. this. This is your day, right? You get you've waited forever for this. Yeah. And how do you feel when you come into court and you're told, oh, you can't come into court? We're gonna hear your argument on Zoom. How many people go to law school? Because they wanna make a closing argument on Zoom. Right. Like who does that? Right. This is something that we really have got. I mean, literally, this is an issue that needs to be fought for. That basically companies, schools, mm-hmm. universities, everybody needs to vote refocus on being in, in person. person. I'm gonna tell you why. I'm really worked up, as you yeah. can tell. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell you why. This Zoom, this Zoom thing where people are You know, basically doing everything by Zoom, this is short term. It's not if you're a company, if you're a university, I don't care who you are. Mm -hmm. If you keep going down this road where you isolate people and you do everything by Zoom, This is short-sighted because what happens is is, is that the workplace is falling apart. It's deeper than that. We can sit here and make an economic argument. We can do all of that. But it's deeper than that. It goes to why we live. Mm -hmm. It goes to the life that we have. It goes to who we are. It goes to what kind of life is this? Mm -hmm. Sitting on your computer, not going out of your home? Who lives this way? It's unacceptable. And, and, And this is a key aspect of it. Here's where this really matters. I can explain to you in numerous ways how if you do things on Zoom, it really affects the culture of the courts. It affects Mm -hmm. the culture of the workplace. And why is that? Mm -hmm. Why is it that that I am impassioned about having everybody in person is because when you do things on Zoom, especially in the courts, right – you're missing a key component of the workplace. And in the courts, it's critical because people need to know each other. They have to like each other. They have to respect each other. And the only way that happens is When you basically have these types of conversations, hey, how are you doing? I heard that uh, your kid had a great game yesterday. Or I'm so sorry, I heard that, you know, that that, like your parent is sick or I Mm -hmm. heard they're struggling. Those types of interactions are critical because it's why you like people. Mm -hmm. If you just do everything on Zoom, what ultimately happens is you only go to the issue at hand. Right, So if I come on Zoom... Point. That's a great point. Right, It's business, gonna, business only. Right, I'm not going to ask you how your
1: kids are. Not I'm not going to... In gonna, front of 20 other people. No, or, we're going to talk sure.
2: strictly business. business. We're not going to get into anything yep. about how and you you're lose doing. the human connection. Exactly. Right. And then what happens is people get angry very quickly. Sure, Because you forget that you like people. You forget that you care about people. Yeah. You forget that these people are important to you and that you're important to them. You forget those things. And so ultimately... I'm going to tell you something. If we don't get on this and get people back in businesses Mm -hmm. and back in their offices Mm -hmm. and really focus on this, it's going to be deeper than just unused real estate. What you're going to have is no loyalty because ultimately if I'm working in a law firm, I'm working in a company, I'm working at a court, what do I care? I don't know you. You don't know me. Why am I going to stick around? It's just mechanical. It's just all mechanical. And ultimately that is not – the way that we are created and it's not how we're supposed to live. So we need to make this a huge emphasis. If people that are listening out there, you know, it's enough is enough is enough, Mm -hmm. right? It is time for everything to be in person. It is time for us to go back to living the lives that give us joy, Mm -hmm. that give us hope, that give us optimism. It's time for us to be together because community is life. And life is
1: the community. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we continue the conversation with Justice Bernstein, so be sure to tune in.
0: And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen, too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising.
1: And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach, and you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong.
0: Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Justice Richard Bernstein of the Michigan Supreme Court. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com. Be sure to tune in next week for part two of our conversation with Justice Bernstein.